fantastical world with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with National Security Advisor to National Personal Trainer Awareness Day, Chris Prunty, <laughs> as well as our continued special what? guest, Daniel Quinn. <laughs> Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing good. <laughs> not viral yet. <laughs> not, not viral yet. Yeah. Um, on sense? today's episode, we're actually very, very excited to have with us Dale Kingsmill of... Well, well, just her being Dale Kingsmill, but also you might know her from the YouTube channel Monarchs Factory. We're going to go and cut straight to the interview now because I'm just excited to get right to it. And so here we go. Hello, friends. And we are here today with Dale Kingsmill. Uh, Dale, for those Hello. of us who are, yeah, for those of us who are uh, woefully inclined to not know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so hi. Hi there. I'm Dale Kingsmill. So I uh, run a YouTube channel. I've been running it for, oh, I don't know, seven, seven-ish years um, at this point. And it started out, I was retelling tales from classical mythology, just with a little bit of a humorous bent. Um, and then over time, I started dipping into other kinds of videos I wanted to make. And one day stumbled across, I, I decided to make a video about uh, D&D and some of my homebrew rules and uh, people started paying attention and liked them. And so here I am now continuing to make D and D things and people seem to like them. I hope they like them. Um, but you know, even if they don't, I enjoy it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. I think that's really important to recognize is you keep doing it for your own sake because you know it what's the point otherwise right if you're not having fun yeah. why do it right exactly unless you unless you're getting paid remarkably well which i imagine you're, you're breaking <laughs> in millions right i assume yeah i, I yeah. am a billionaire i'm one of those <laughs> unethical billionaires we constantly hear about at the moment that's me yeah yeah i i don't know anything as an ethical billionaire so I mean, it's kind <laughs> of a, kind of redundant when you say unethical billionaire but that's fine um, all right, uh, Dale. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. I oh, actually found out about, yeah, I, I, I found out about your channel after we did an interview with Jim Davis of web DM and they're so yeah, nice. I love those. They really people. are. Yeah. But, but, but more importantly, your work is really, really fantastic. And, uh, some highlights for me anyway, uh, the thieves can't video, uh, which is mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just stealing like flat out from the top <laughs> to bottom and, uh, just, oh, gentlemen, what would you say are some other highlights of her, of her channel? I really like the animal companion one on, uh, how it handled that. And also, uh, just generally harvesting components and such. Oh, I like that one. I, I, that's, that's one of the ones that I feel like, um, you know, I made it because I needed it for my game. And then I just put it on a video. And it's it's one of those ones that's maybe not the most popular or cool video topic, but very slowly. It's it's a slow burn of people who are like, wait, I actually need this for my game. That just makes me happy. The stuff that is utilitarian like that, where you're like, oh, I, I need it. And, and when you recognize the other people are like, oh, I'm stealing this because it's super helpful. Like that is you get you get like a nice little little tingle in your in your chest, you know, yeah, when, in my heart place. Exactly. Where your heart would be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If I weren't an unethical billionaire. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh man. Uh, yeah. So can I, can I talk to you real quick about your Druid video though? Because sure. I have, so the Druid, I don't know if you were aware of this and I, I know that it's way too late, like whatever, it's not a problem, but <laughs> one of the things that I always was fascinated by with Druid, with Druidic, the language that is Druidic is like, Hey, this doesn't exist anymore because it was basically like passed down from person to person. And then all of the Druids got killed by the Romans. That's fine. Mm. But then there's a, like, that that's like one part of the history to it. And then there's another part that I'm like, man, why doesn't anybody else do this? Which is Druids used to like plant um, trees in a specific pattern. And it basically creates <gasps> like a shorthand and it's like, Oh, I can recognize a pattern that's of trees. Sick. And as a Druid, Yes. And I, and I, I was watching the Druidic video earlier today. I'm like, I got to bring this up and talk about it because man, that's really cool. Oh, and heck yeah. Yeah. Just, just tossing it out there because damn, that's cool. No, that's you know, like awesome as well. A- oh, I was just, cause, cause like when I was um, approaching Druidic, it, it was so, you know, conceptual for me because I don't have a Druid in my party. Um, the one player who is the most likely to play a Druid. So no one else plays a Druid because my friend Kate is always suspected of planning a Druid. Um, but then she always comes in and she's like, I, I didn't want to just be a cliche, so she never makes a Druid. So we end up in this weird limbo where I just never have one. So it was all very conceptual and just theoretical for me. And I was like, oh, how would I do it? And so I was dipping into stuff I knew, I know from, you know, the cultures around me and it's very sort of Southern hemisphere, very Australian, but that idea of the, the sort of classic Celtic Druid that's, that's like planting these trees in a pattern. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. I, I thought you'd appreciate that. And that's actually uh, brings me to another point is your uh, you, you bring up the fact that, you know, like in that video specifically, you have a lot of Australia, like Aussie roots that very clearly are like an, an influence that you see mm-hmm. in that video. I asked Jim Davis this and I'm going to ask you this. How has growing up in your area in Australia, like molded the way that you kind of build your own worlds? Because from what I understand, a lot of your videos are like Celtic or, you know, Northwestern European uh, based right for the most part yeah so where does where does your like aussie root aussie influence come in when you when you when it comes to world building first of all i like that question that's a great question um but yeah i do think that druidic is the place where it was the most obvious but usually it's a it's a really subtle thing i think you're right because i i've said a thousand times and i'll say it a million times more that i'm such a big believer in the power of shorthand um and the way that you can cut through having to um, explain a bunch of stuff um, sort of in expository text or, or lore dumps to your players just by if, if you give them something that they recognize. So um, my game tends to be set in a Northern Hemisphere type place. You know, North is cold, South is warm, um, just because I know that my players are reading the same books as I am and getting that same sense of like this is a fantasy world it's cold in the north and I first noticed that when I was sort of I didn't have a world yet I was waiting to see what kind of characters my players wanted to play and I was letting them tell me things about their their characters I sort of said you know where did you grow up what was it like um and one of them was telling me about how she lived in the north and when it got snowy in the winter and I was like oh okay so that is a thing that that we all kind of have in our cultural consciousness so it tends to to drift 
um, Northern Hemisphere in a lot of those senses and Drift European in a lot of those senses. But there are other places where the shorthand leans full on Australian. So like I, I was doing a world building stream yesterday and at some point I was talking about the connotations of a name like Autumn and I was like, yeah, because of course that is associated with um Oh, oh, not autumn, sorry, August. And I was like, that's associated with autumn. It's associated with, you know, we're heading into winter, we're heading into death. And then I realized that for the Northern Hemisphere, August is not associated with autumn. It's uh, it's like the last month of summer, which is c- like almost the complete op- opposite conceptually. And I was like, oh, there are these places where it just slips through into how we think about it just because we're in the Southern Hemisphere. It's, it's, it's a very sort of dry... I don't know how to describe the feel of the Southern Hemisphere, even though I like there are other places. I'm sure that it's different in in lots of parts of South America. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's this this vibe of like, well, we're under the equator and things are a little bit topsy turvy here. And I think that just sneaks in every now and then when I'm when I'm using that shorthand to get information across. Yeah, I would imagine that like culturally in in the oeuvre of like fantasy and whatnot. No, there's not a lot of like Australian based fiction that's out there. Like for the most mm-hmm. part, we're stuck with like Mad Max, which, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Fury Road, like top five movie don't, for sure. But it's like, is that really Australia? You know, like. Yeah. And then it's tricky as well, because like, even when we do have um, pop cultural things. So there, there's for sure more Australian stuff that we get than that you get. Um but even when it's there, a lot of the time it is influenced by, you know, American texts or English texts or things like that. And it kind of, I, and in a big way, carries the sort of history of the Commonwealth with it. So um, you do end up in this weird place where it's like, even if it is Australian, it doesn't necessarily feel super Australian, particularly if you're, if you're talking about the genre of fantasy, um, it ends up tied into concepts of northernness um and i i think i've only read a handful of books or watched a handful of movies that tap into the idea of magic but make it australian okay uh what one more question about the whole australian thing before we move on um have you seen the episode of the simpsons where they go to australia and if oh yes i have yeah what what are your thoughts how accurate 90 percent accurate 95 percent accurate even if it wasn't beforehand, people have morphed Australian life in order to fit that episode. The amount of times in day-to-day life people will call money dollary dues now. It, <laughs> I'm sure it didn't used to be this way, but at some point that episode came out and everyone was like, that's it. We're playing knifey spoony <laughs> and we're spending dollary dues. The only thing people oh. will ever complain about is the, is the toilet water going the other way. Uh, but okay, so I'm gonna say 100% accurate. Then that's good. Great, yeah. great job, Simpsons. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Since you're on the subject of of influences, at least uh, when it comes to Australia, there, and you mentioned texts, I, w- I was listening to the episode about creating gods, um, mm-hmm. and your discussion of the numinous. You know, when it comes to like C.S. Lewis um, and how he talked about that, I was wondering what other literary influences have shaped like your storytelling and your play style over the course of your life. Ooh, see, now that's interesting because I feel like my sort of core influences tend to be less literary, more visual. Um, 
which is which is so odd. It's you know like um, paintings by Caspar David Friedrich or Sidney Long, um, who actually, P.S. very Australian painter. Um, but uh, you you yeah, it's it's weird. It's like old movies I watched when I was little. So it's like Return to Oz and Willow and you know all these sorts of things. Um, but then it's since I went to university, basically, my mother has a PhD in fantasy literature. And oh, so, so rare, right? Wow. I know it's the coolest kind of doctorate. Um, <laughs> and so, and my sister's on her heels. She studies nerds and is getting her PhD. So it's <laughs> where I'm, I'm like the dunce in the family. And I don't think that I'm stupid. I just know that everyone around me is much smarter than I am. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, what because- What are they as entertaining? That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, probably. I, I have to assume I got it from someone. I'm the youngest of four. I had to get my 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 entertainmenting from somewhere, I suppose. They don't act, though, so I win there. Um, yeah, there you go. Ha, ha, ha. Finally a victory. No, um, but my mum sort of did her PhD in fantasy fiction, and it, it led to the point where I could be diving into a topic and I would be like, oh, yeah, I want to do a video that's about gods or I want to do a video that's about, um, you know, the the Feywild, things like this. And I'll be talking about it and mum will just say, oh, yeah, 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 that's like this concept that pops up in this essay by Tolkien or this piece. by, And she'll just give me these sources that come from the outside. And so then I have a bunch of reading that I can do beforehand and tie everything I, I already wanted to talk about, I get to tie it down into academic sources, but I do tend to come back to essays by Lewis and Tolkien a lot of the time, because I think they talk about um, a lot of things that I, it's, it's kind of because that's how I was raised on fantasy is on those books. Uh, they're, they're sort of novels. And it means that when they talk about it academically, it, um, it, it ties in with the way I'm already thinking about it in the perfect way because it's them, you know? So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to come up with a list. I should have made a list of <laughs> I mean, that could really be a video good academic itself, sources. Right? Actually, it probably could. Yeah. I, now, knowing that you have an English major background, is that right? Mm -hmm. um, I was listening to your uh, video about narrative-centric combat. And mm -hmm. while the video itself is great, what I really loved was listening to your description of the actual setup for that scene. And so I wonder, you know, are you doing any other like creative writing or do you have any other projects um, in the writing realm outside of, you know, the, the, the RPGs or the setup of your of your videos? Um, weirdly, mostly my writing stuff at the moment is coming out in, uh, I guess it's not that weird, um, but in the form of scripts. So I did Wolfgang, which was uh, a big, it, it was meant to be written ahead of time and filmed ahead of time. Uh, Wolf Wolfgang, for anyone who doesn't know me, is um, a web series that I did about inner city werewolves um, when they're humans instead of werewolves. Uh, and it was a series that went over the course of a year and just every time there was a full moon during the year, I, re I released episodes. Um, but the plan was to film it ahead of time and to uh, you know write everything ahead of time. And that didn't work out because all my actors moved. Um, so we only had these little patches when we could do it. So I ended up writing most of that myself rather than split between people and kind of in short pushes. And then at the moment I'm working on another project with a friend. So it's kind of, 
that's where a lot of my writing writing is happening, which is odd because because what you're talking about is sort of um, description stuff versus mm-hmm. a script which is all dialogue. Um, yeah, I don't know. Most of most of my sort of descriptiony bits do come out in my in my RPGs, I guess, because that's like I I cannot help it. I always write myself a little bit of a script for an important point in the session. I can't just do it off the cuff. Because I know I'll mess it up. So I'm just oh, like, yeah, this I'm one's important. Pissed. I'm going to write it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you liked it, though. That makes me feel... Every now and then I'm like, is this too overdramatic? Should I cut well, this from the video? It's like, maybe you should think about doing some creative writing. You know, that's what I'm mm. thinking. <laughs> yeah, well, one of my sisters is a writer. Um, my sister, Shannon, is she's she's so good. She's a brilliant writer. Um, <laughs> so it's it's, yeah, something that I kind of dabble in from time to time. But she's definitely better at she's she's practiced her craft see in very much in the opposite direction of you dale i actually improv like i'd say that most of my like proudest scenes that i have narrated and you know like i look at my players and they're like you know big deep gasp i did not have pre-written at all um Mm -hmm. i i don't pre-write anything for the most part i have like a skeleton and then kind of go from there. See, I then- wish I could be that. That's that's what I long to be. I tried early on in my DMing career to be like that, and I just can't do it. I wonder if there's like a latent fear of improving just because I've gone through like acting degrees and stuff, and it's like, oh, no, this again. Please, no. <laughs> yeah, you have shame of, of getting lines wrong, and I don't have that because I've never been an actor. <laughs> You know, so it's like, how can I fuck up something that I don't know exists? Rob has no shame, basically. (laughs) Look, I can I can assure you that I have been immune to shame for some time, and you know, you you said you're the youngest of four. I'm actually the youngest of six. So I I feel like, yeah, I I feel like that kind of comes with the territory in a lot of ways. You know, yeah, the the lack of shame. I mean, for sure. Well, uh, one of them was also on the episode of Gods that I watched. Uh, it actually, I agree a lot with the fact that uh, you kind of believe that God shouldn't be, this is the God of air, this is the God of water. Mm. It should be more kind of in the uh, Greek mythology sense of this is a God and he was given domain over uh, mm. maybe the ocean or something. But I think uh, in our world we actually took like the exact opposite way of doing it but mainly our gods were formed from those oh, objects or see beliefs. that's an interesting approach one yeah. of the one of the biggest comments that i got under that video was um people saying but it shouldn't be about what the the culture of the world believes because the gods are real and i think that was a, a key point of difference that i should have spent more time talking about because um, that's one of the things that for my setting, I don't make the gods concrete. I don't say this is a real being that actually exists and has, you know, godly divine power over the world. Um, whereas a lot of people do have that be the case for their, their worlds that they're creating. And so that's sort of a key point of difference. I was approaching it from this, um, sort of real world cultural perspective. Um, but inherent in that approach was the idea that you know that these gods have kind of been shaped by mortals rather than being and then being depicted by mortals um but no i really like that idea of like oh they're actually made from these elements that's cool 
the other thing that uh, kind of speaking to the gods that you were talking about, it's also the way that uh, I, I think Tolkien liked to do it as far as like it wasn't the gods playing as direct of a role, at least in the later mm -hmm. half of uh, ages of where it was more of agents and uh, kind of maybe they don't even exist or to the regular person on the street like a human wouldn't be like oh yeah no i'm a worshiper of manway we all know manway we've seen him right 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 and and i mean with tolkien as well it's because he's coming at it and he's trying to write a new mythology and so he's as well doing it from within that kind of, it's, it's not like he is someone in the real world writing the poetic edda he's he's writing the saga of the gods you know it's it's this whole separate thing and then you get beyond that saga beyond like the Silmarillion sort of stuff and you get to the story of people and that's where you get to his sort of perilous realm stuff where he starts talking about you know yeah we've had that stuff we have that sort of huge epic level of the mythology of it now here's what it looks like on the ground level when that mythology's already done that groundwork also I as an aside Chris is very excited that someone else loves Tolkien Oh, uh, Chris is our resident to the point of essay reading here. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I I am not a fan of Tolkien as a writer. I think he's a fantastic storyteller. I just I have issues with him in general. Did a seminar in Tolkien way back in college. Yeah, yeah. I, I get hugely important. I just am not a fan it, of. It, the, you talk the, about the, it as if you grew up together, and you're like, oh man, he, he owes me bullied five me bucks. in the he third grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's something to be said about that weird parasocial relationship when you read someone's work, right? Or you get so intimately familiar with not just their fiction, but also like if you read an essay by them, you kind of get to know them a little bit more hmm. than you would otherwise, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so. I think today, I mean, I think today we get like weird parasocial relationships with YouTube and stuff like that or a with million TV percent. stars. Right. Especially now that Twitter's here, like how is that not like even less separate or more or less separated? Right. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so excited that the broader world understands the concept of parasocial bonding now, because that was a thing that I I did a minor in digital media and we learned about that. And I was like, why aren't people talking about this? This is it. This is like the problem with the Internet that we keep coming back to. Yeah. Anyway. You're like the only other person I know that did that. Minor, so minor in digital media and a major in English, right? And a major in theater as well. Oh, that's so rare. Like I did a minor in, in digital arts too. And it's like, I felt like it was what? such a bizarre combination, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. you're a computer programmer. Oh, uh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I did want to bring that point up, right? Like if a god is a concrete conscious being, wouldn't it make more sense that they would have more of a broad range of like ideas? Cause, cause they're going to have like, yeah, I am, if I'm a person, right. But it, like, imagine like I am a chef. Every <laughs> chef is going to be different. They're going to have their own volatile personality. Mm. Like as, as a God, wouldn't that be the same way? Like, yeah, I'm going to be the God of wine and war or whatever it might be. Mm. But you know, like you're going to have like these weird, like I'm the God of wine and war, but I also really like, uh, like cats. So like, that's not going to be my portfolio. It's going to be a weird quirk that I have. Mm. And some people that I'm the god of cats as a result, you know, like that kind of thing. When you add personality to the gods like that, like 
you're bound to get like leakage into realms that would otherwise not necessarily cover what they should be, you know, quote unquote specific to when it comes to their domains and whatnot. Yeah. And you end up with this tricky thing of like, we, we don't have concrete gods in the real world. So then it becomes us just trying to imagine what it would be like if they were concrete. And the closest thing that we can do is that we make a person. And then once they're a person, it starts being like, okay, but you lose a little more sort of divinity every time you make them more human. And so it gets more, and it, and it has this like, central that there has to be conflict at the heart of it as soon as you start making more gods but it's it's kind of it reminds me of um that scene in pyramids the discworld book terry pratchett where um you know at some point towards the end all of the gods appear at the same time and you've got like a half dozen sun gods all having a football match over the sun because they want to be the one to carry it over the horizon and it's like this this thing of because you've made them people, they're going to butt up against each other in weird ways that doesn't happen as much if, you know, you're neatly creating them and going, well, no, because obviously that part of Ward falls under the category of Ares rather than under the category of Athena. You know, you can divide it more neatly if they aren't concrete. Absolutely. And that's why when we were developing in, in our like early series, um, we kind of took the idea of, of like ancient um, Babylonian gods, you know, where it's not just a matter of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a thought process, this God Marduk, right? It's like, no, Marduk is a statue. And if you take the statue Marduk, you've taken our God, you know, Mm. like, so we, we wanted to play with that a little bit more where it's like Mm. the gods are physical and concrete and they're actually specific items. So that way you can kind of mess around with that. And like, what does that look like? You know, when you have four gods of fire and one's hearth, one's a candle, and then one's a forge, you know, what are what are the differences? What is and what does that mean for each of those ah, items so and gods cool. and stuff like that? Actually, yeah, a lot of us uh, has been focusing on ancient or uh, at least medieval. Uh, what do you do? Like, do you run anything that's in the future or a modern setting? And uh, what do you do for that? I haven't yet, but I keep dabbling with, see, this is, here here we go. This is my fatal flaw is that I keep trying to design new systems to fit things I like. So um, the one that I keep coming back to right now, uh, sort of Buffy game, but then I'm like split between that and kids on bikes stuff, but then kids on bikes as well is a period piece. It's just more modern. It's, uh, you know, anytime Mm -hmm. before people had phones. So I, yeah, I'm dabbling in those things, but haven't really run much in that capacity. And I, I don't know what the tricky thing is that keeps kind of getting in the way, but I think that it might be armor. (laughs) just to be really yeah. bizarre and cryptic about it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's odd coming from, I don't, I don't run, I certainly don't run a modern setting using like D and D or Pathfinder rules um, because I just don't think they fit, but I'm also rarely happy. Th- I shouldn't put this on a podcast. This will be terrible for my reputation, but I'm rarely happy with um, sort of the complete set of any modern rule book, just because I don't know. I think they usually are really good at character creation. They often hit a lot of points really well. But then because guns are commonplace or whatever, 
or, or you know, you have to drive a car. It's, it's often modern technology gets in and they don't know, whoever's writing the game doesn't know how to implement them mechanically into the system. And so once you get into the actual playing of the game, sections of it start to fall apart. And it's it's weird. It's it's because, you know, D&D lacks that meat in areas. You know, we say the three pillars of a, a tabletop. Oh, that was that was my chair, just for the record. There was a squeak and it was my chair. I would like the world to know. Um, what was I talking about? Now I've gotten confused. Sort of there, there are these elements that are missing from D&D. When we talk about the pillars of play, you know, you've got exploration and you've got role play in there. But both of those kind of just rely on the players making it up. And it's like, well, now you improv a bunch of things. We don't have any rules as scaffolding to help you through it. Um, but we don't notice that because that's the way it's always been. Whereas when a new game comes along and is trying to um, create rules that help you play in a modern setting, once you're missing like really fleshed out rules to help you play a skill or help you in combat, that's when people start to notice because we've had sort of D&D as a combat simulator for so long that once you hit something where role play and exploration are the big important things, it feels incomplete uh, if you don't have a combat system built in there. Because as well, players will just naturally try to engage in combat because that's how they've been trained to play. Um, so that's my very long explanation as to why I haven't really played much in a modern setting, but I would like to get a Buffy game or a Kids on Bikes game going it's interesting that you should mention that because like, or, or it's interesting that you should mention that D and D is training people to be like just purely combat focused for the most part. And I think that one of the most challenging things as someone who tries to play more than just, you know, a, a typical fantasy RPG is training people to not just immediately kill things. Right. Mm. You know, like even if you're in a, like a, a city game, which is in a typical fantasy RPG, having those rules where you're not out in the wilderness and it's kill or be killed where it's like, Hey, you can actually just threaten them and they'll, or, or like, you don't have to kill them. They will actually, you know, raise their yeah. hands and surrender and stuff like that. That is, I, I think that's really important that D and D has like ingrained us that combat is the way. And I think that when you talk about the other pillars, you know, I, I argue that like social mechanics are at least ingrained in the rules because there's some, like passages within DM books, you know, they're mm -hmm. like, Hey, this is how you run skill checks and whatnot. But with exploration, that's almost been like left behind entirely. Yeah. Which uh, is, I think. it's so hard as well, because like the, the progression of classes is via combat. You know, you get your, your new cool abilities and almost all of them are combat abilities. And then you hit a class like the Ranger class where they try to make it good at exploration but it falls flat because they've they've got such shallow exploration rules in place and they've already kind of given you shortcuts to skip over it elsewhere, um, which is just unfortunate. Yeah, and also I, uh, I, I do have a re I have two recommendations for you to take a look at. Mm -hmm. uh, one, Chris actually ran a game for us called Monster of the Week, which oh, is uh, heard powered it. by the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for a Buffy game, that is probably one of the top recommendations I'd probably throw out there. And the second one I would recommend it's it's a little bit more um, mystical, but it's called City of Mist, which Ooh, is haven't heard also that one. If City of Mist is fantastic, and it it uh, forces. Hold on, let me try that again. 
City of Mist is fantastic in that it its entire like deal is you the more you role play the that's how you gain experience and if you leave a certain aspect of your character to kind of rot away then that aspect just disappears and you replace it with a new one Ooh. so your character develops organically as you actually play the character which i think is why i like it and why it's unique in that sense that there are not too many games that i'm aware of that kind of do that thing that's really cool it's it sounds kind of like um you know how fate is structured in terms of like here are your aspects you can kind of access these but it sounds like fate if there was more of a progression like things actually developed over time yeah city of mist is basically a if if the good parts of fate and the good parts of powered by the apocalypse had a baby i feel like this <laughs> is where city of mist comes in that's a good sell Hey, I mean, if they could send some money my way, or even an interview, that'd be cool too. I mean, thank you for sponsoring us. (laughs) I mean, you're you're looking for a third uh, like option there, um, and you're talking about exploration, getting away from everything being combat focused. There's a lot of games that have been um, reskinned from the old school, so it's called the old school revival that I've been really into lately, where they don't even have things like spot checks or you know, detecting traps or even disarming them. You've got to do everything manually through the story or through the narrative. So mm-hmm. I would be something I would say to check out too. That's cool. Daniel's D&D tastes as well as his music tastes have not evolved past 1997. <laughs> <laughs> For good reason. There's just a lot of trash in the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, and yet you love garbage. Like that's where your musical taste begins. Well, yeah, and that was 1998. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the irony there. <laughs> Uh, Dale, how do you feel about Garbage? Garbage the band or Garbage the yeah. genre? She knows the band. She gets oh, it. if it's Garbage the genre, I'm a huge fan of Garbage the genre. Garbage the genre is my favorite genre. Yes, absolutely. Are we, are we talking about B-movies? I mean, I love B-movies. Yeah. I mean, not <laughs> the B-movie, but B-movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite B-movie? Ooh... I mean, okay. Or give me like a top. Give me like a pantheon. Give me your your like greatest bad movies. You're putting of all time. me on the spot here, man. Um, yeah, that's what think. I do. Exactly. I have you ever heard of Vibes? It is a movie in which um, Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum play psychics, and they have to go to South America to find sort of a a magic alien pyramid artifact thing. They think they're there to find a missing person, but it's yeah. Cindy Lauper can speak to ghosts and uh, Jeff Goldblum is psychometric. It's incredible. I love that it to bits. Sounds, that sounds amazing. And I can't believe I've never heard of this before. It's so good. It's so good. I know I, my, my Wi-Fi is literally named Jeff Goldblum. I mean, like that's absolutely insane. I love that. That's amazing. All right. So, so that's, that's an excellent recommendation. Thank you. Uh, now, now to stay on topic, what kind of world building could you draw from the movie vibes? here? What do you think? What I, I would draw from that movie in an instant. Um, would I draw? Um, would I draw from it for D and D, or would I draw from it for a modern game, though? Because I would love to run a game where it's just a bunch of psychics. 
In what way? Are are you talking about scam psychics or like real psychics or maybe real psychics? Psychic? Have okay. In the thread of like, he is a a sort of low budget school. It's like a government offshoot. They have funding to research psychics, and here they have their team of five kind of crappy psychics who can all sort of do their little thing, um, but they can really do it, and they're solving mysteries. That's the kind of thing that I would love to have a tabletop RPG for. That's that, so wow, total, in the total vein of like Scooby Mysteries. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Like B team fringe. Uh, oh man. Well I feel like there's a lot of um TV shows with psychics um where they're solving crimes. So maybe like a softer version of that. Yeah. It'd be a nice, like, found family team version of that. I mean, if I wanted to pull from vibes for a fantasy game, then you've got all your classic, oh, here's an ancient artifact, and it whispers to you across the way, and it summons people long distance, and you can't avoid its call, siren, blah, 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 blah. That's fine. That's neat. But I want my found family team of psychics. (laughs) Speaking of psychics, have you ever played the game Psychonauts? I have not. Oh man! If you ever want a so it's a it's about a boy who who is involved in the circus and runs away from the circus to go join a psychic camp. And I'm a man, big fan of both circuses and psychic camps. Yeah, and it's and it's double fine, which is Tim Schafer, and it is it is fantastic. I would recommend it strongly to everyone. Uh, oh, actually. Uh, do we have any other questions? Because we are coming up on the uh, World Build Jam. Um, I had a couple of quick uh, um, kind of bookkeeping questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, in your Wolfgang series, um, you talked a little bit about um, dealing with um, budgets and multiple personalities and trying to pay your actors. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any things, experiences or things you've learned that you can give as advice to um, other creatives when they're kind of managing their own projects? Yeah, my biggest piece of advice, especially if if you're doing like a, a really super low budget indie piece with just you and your friends, um, I think the biggest thing is you got to decide at the beginning whether you're going to direct your friends or not. Um, it's a hard decision. It's a weird decision to have to make. But I really, I'm even though I'm proud of Wolfgang, um, I look back at it and I wish that I had decided to direct or not direct because as it turned out, it was kind of me in the middle being like, oh yeah, that take was cool. Can we try it? I mean, maybe if you, and it was, it was just very sort of light touch, like, oh, I mean, that was, but maybe if you try it this way instead and just kind of hoping for the best, hitting, hitting record, hoping for the best, and then trying to sort of direct in editing after the fact, which is hard it's really hard to do that um and to change things just based on whatever footage you have um and i was lucky that i trusted the people i was working with and it came out good but um yeah if i was on on future projects i would rather like say okay i'm i'm gonna direct which is it is weird because you're like you're working with friends which is always a strange zone but i think honestly everyone's there to get a thing done and no one's going to hold it against you if you do decide to be the bossy director person for a little while um so that's one big thing in terms of a budget make sure that when you're writing the piece 
that you're keeping a budget in mind. I've I've got friends who I've tossed around ideas with for like, oh, let's film a little movie and we'll throw scripts back and forth and I'll, I'll receive a script that says like, oh, we open in a jungle and five Jeeps roll up. And I'm like, we do not have access to a jungle or Jeeps. Let's put it in an office. <laughs> and it's it's a guy in his work clothes looking out a window. There you go. That's it. That's what we have instead. Um, so just keeping in mind what your sort of capabilities are while you're writing is a skill that you should develop really. Those are probably my big tips. So be make sure you have a vision and make sure you can pay for that vision is what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, gentlemen, we're good, right? Any other questions? So. Dale, are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. So we're going to pivot into the world build jam session, which is certainly my favorite part of the interview. Not that you haven't been fabulous, Dale, but still, <laughs> this is just going to be even better. Wow. Wow. I yeah. know. I know how you really feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'll just cut that part out anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is how it works. We're going to start off with this jam session by figuring out the genre. We're going to roll some dice and between science fiction, fantasy, horror, modern day, romance or a combination of the two we'll figure out the genre then we're going to roll some more dice and we're going to figure out the subject whether it be an item a monster a place a historical figure an event or again some kind of combination of the two and then once that's done we're going to roll one more die and figure out the theme which is between madness sacrifice love metamorphosis pride and honor the unspeakable triumph and hope and then once all that's done, we're going to roll another die and we're going to throw in a twist to just fuck up all of our work. So I'm, I'm writing Dale, notes right now and I just need you to know that when I wrote twist, I put an exclamation point. Twist! Okay, it should also have an underline just so we're clear because that's right, how big right. that twist is going to be. It sounds Underlining scary. Now. Don't think about it. Yeah, just, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, so the first thing we're going to roll is the genre. So let's see what we got. I have fantasy, very appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the subject, we have uh, an event. Okay. And the theme is going to be hope. Yeah. So Dale, mm. we have a fantasy with uh, an event, a fantasy event which the theme surrounding it is hope. And as our guest, you have the honor of starting us off. Is it bad that my whole brain is just like, it's Star Wars. It's all Star Wars. This is Star Wars. It's a new hope. Uh, sure, go for it. I mean, that's not bad at all. Okay, so how, how, does this, how does this work? What do we do? Do we just... We need like so a premise, you, basically. Just yeah, a you premise? start with the premise. Where does your brain go? Like you say Star Wars... In what sense? Like what kind of event within a fantasy where hope is part of the theme does your brain go? And just we're going to start creating. My brain a, goes uh, straight to a rebellion. It just does. It's yeah, like here's they, this oh dark regime and they've got this hold on everything, but there's a rebellion working against them. And that's the the, the spark of hope that everyone's holding on to in this dark realm, this dark, this dark landscape. 
Absolutely. And so let's let's name the event. What is the event? Is it the spark of the revolution? Is it where the revolution finally wins? Is it somewhere in between? What are we going for? Mm, maybe it could be a turning of the tides. Oh, maybe so there's an ongoing be... war. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And this is like the the moment that things, it, it becomes like we could actually win this. Not just a helpless gotcha. struggle, but like, hey, wait, this was a big victory. How That's... big is the rebellion? And what's that victory look like? That's a good point. Those are those are both good questions. Um, because I think I think the rebellion has to be not too big at this point, because if if this is the moment when they turn the tide, you know, they've been losing so far. So there can't be that much um sort of going for them at this stage. But if they were clever, if they used just their their small resources in clever ways uh to take out like a big resource that the bad guys have. That would be cool. Okay. What could that resource okay. be? I was going to say, what? let's name the resource. Let's figure out what the resource is. So we have very little information on the Empire and the Rebels. Mm-hmm. What is, what's the main source of power for the Empire? Let's let's start there. Maybe we can kind of figure out how they're going to cut that off. Well, and it's, it's a set, what's the setting too? Because it's hard, hard for us to design that before we know like literally where we are. Like are we in Honestly, space or are we on the, on the planet? We we gotta well, we gotta differentiate ourselves from Star Wars. It's got to be on yeah. a planet. It's got to be classic fantasy, but okay. it's also kind of Star Wars. I think so. Uh, yeah. It's Star Wars esque. Yeah, it's Star Wars esque. But ooh, he is a little shifty, shifty roo, shifteroo of <laughs> that's those are words of uh of the sort of Star Wars a pieces. Bit too much knifey spoony, I see. A little too much knifey spoony. Um, but. I think it would be cool if the bad guys, the bit, the baddie baddens, um, maybe they are the ones who have the most access to magic. Maybe that's how they've, you know, kept everything on lockdown. It's like they have this academy where they train their magic users to to wield magic fiercely. Whereas, uh, and maybe they maybe they take kids if they show magical talent, and they so so they starve the non bad guy people of having any sort of magical resources of their own um all right so i want to stick with this theme of you being a villain you know like a villainous billionaire let's <laughs> go ahead and say that they are a set that the empire are hoarding magic to themselves as well neat and Love so it. and um. so obviously the re- the rebels are going to try and redistribute magic as necessary yeah and you know to to and and that's the way that the tides turn is by redistributing so so not not just you know like the one super powerful archmage and his act in his academy of mages maybe maybe it's going to go magic to everyone kind of like a a, a piers anthony xanth type yeah yeah thing. yeah they can they can bust open the uh the academy and let all the younglings free Notice my use of younglings. Um, <laughs> they could they could set them all free. They can take all the magical artifacts out of the vaults, whisk them off to to different rebel leaders in different places. I love it. Liberate the magic. So uh, to go back to Star Wars, but also kind of flipping it. What if uh, the way that they enforce their rule was through a series of mage knights that are 
very <gasps> powerful. They have access to magic, and also maybe they have access to magical blades. And through yes. this, they kind of subjugate the people. Yes, Jedi is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, well, legally oh God, distinct from Jedi. Legally distinct. Legally Definitely. Distinct Jedi. Yes. 100%. These are these are magic knights. Okay, they're very different. Oh, oh, I've got a twist. That's a pre-twist. What if the rebellion used to be um, is led by a former very powerful knight, mage knight, or or sorcerer who broke away from the you know unpleasant hegemony? Um, yes. That ruled- <laughs> Horribly oh, scarred man. in an event that happened with fire magic. Is that what you're? Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I feel like we're almost at the point. But before we do, the event is the tides turn. So do they free the younglings, and how does that happen? Let's like make that event concrete. Yeah. Can we call it the Tides of Magic turn? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course we're going to call it that. Yes. All right. So so what does that look like? What's, what's that event? Is it like, is magic literally locked in a vault, and this is like the vault breaker? Or is, like, what does it look like? What do you think? Oh, the only image that's coming to mind is such a cliche, but also I kind of like it, is that there's a crystal somewhere that is like locking in magic. It's like you can only access magic via this this thing. But if you smash that crystal, it's like, and it goes everywhere and it spreads throughout All the right. world. I love okay, it. there we go. So we've gotten the, the breaking of the magical crystal, which then releases magical energy to everyone in the world. And that's the rebellion. That's where everything starts to shift. And thus, now that we have this really cool premise, we're going to fuck it all up by adding in a twist. So <gasps> oh, no, a twist? Underlined yes. exclamation point? Yes. Add a second underline as I roll this die. Let's aliens all along. Come on. Yeah, I hope it's the aliens one. <laughs> all right. What did I get? Uh, oh, no, we already aliens. did that one. Alien. And I dropped the die? Oh, it's happening? a bad omen. It's a bad omen. This is going to be a dramatic twist. Okay, okay, okay. Nope, here we go. We got it. We got it. It's fine. Now make it strange. Oh. No, stranger than that. Oh. Is that actually what is written? Yes. <laughs> no, we, we can't I, go the cliche route of strange equals Lovecraft, so I'm going to veto that. No, but what we can do is <laughs> we can now make it so everyone has a stand a la JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, so the magic gets oh, weird God. is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So so not when everyone gets magic, it's not just a matter of, hey, I can cast Fireball on demand. It's like, hey, at noon, I can actually cast shadows when no one else can, and I can steal other people's shadows to make them Ooh, do my bidding. That oh, that weird, oh. like absolutely strange stuff to do with magic so let's go ahead and figure out what else we can do got something added to that like maybe maybe they start to realize that there's a reason why they built that crystal that Mm. magic isn't supposed to be this weird and all over the place and it needs to be tamed in some way oh magic needs a containment Mm-hmm. Oh, the reason yeah, the knights okay. were important was the discipline that they had. Granted, they were subjugating people, but when the uncontrolled or the uninitiated have it, the chaos is just, yeah, well, magic right. is just oh chaos. Gosh. Have any wow. of you seen, there was a show, it only ran for one season, which was fair, but it also was a good concept. Um, it was called The Lost Room. Oh, never heard of that. That sounds very familiar. It what was, is that? It's so... 
the premise here we, this is where it is getting a bit weird um so the premise of the show is that in i don't know like the 70s or something there was this hotel room a guy is it's like a motel in the middle of nowhere the guy has just stopped off he's staying there for the night and some event happens and no one knows what the event is but um basically everything that was in that motel room became kind of imbued with these weird powers and so you've got things yeah and so the the main one that the show is kind of following is the key it's a very um desirable item because if you use the key uh so, so it's basically if you use the item as you're supposed to often is when you you get to access its power so the key if you use the key in any lock it'll open the door into the motel room at the time of the event at that exact moment so you'll be in that room in the 70s it's empty at the moment because all the items are out in the world but as items are left in the room they kind of go to where they were during the event but then you've got other things like a bus ticket that teleports people to a bus stop kind of near that motel um or you've got a pencil that when you tap it on a table a penny just pops into existence um or you have really super weird ones like um a wristwatch that if you put an egg in the middle of it it boils the egg so people have just been collecting these items and slowly working out what they can do but if you put like the pen and the wristwatch together you get telepathy it's like this crazy bunch of random abilities um that you just kind of find out about throughout the course of the show that's the kind of sort of that that's the level of magic powers that i'm envisioning yeah and absolutely so so that's and that's what we'll do instead of imbuing people with magic it it imbues the entire world every item now is imbued with that weird magic that's a great great amazing idea and it still ties in with the whole mage um, protector sort of thing because the swords they wield must be the items of power in the same way that now they're all over the place, those sort of items. No, no, no. The, the swords themselves, hold on. I, I, the swords themselves are actually shards of the crystal. Oh, like, there that, you that go. Are, that are just a crystal blade. Yes. Oh my so God. Okay. Pure magic. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Wow. Shard blades. All right. Shard blades. Oh, I love it. Like crystals. Like crystals. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. I think that, I think that's it. That, that, that wraps it up and nails it down. That's, I I don't think we're going to get better than that unless someone (laughs) else has a better idea. Um, We got to stick Palpatine in there somewhere, but I'm sure he's somewhere in there. Yeah. He he exists. Big Papa helps. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Dale, let me ask you a random question real quick. Yes. Uh, Do you, do you know anything about uh, professional wrestling? I do not. Okay. Which is probably, I I shouldn't say I now am friends with like multiple semi-pro wrestlers. So that's, they can (laughs) never listen to this. They can never know that. Wow. That's something. I'll censor it. And then people will just leave it to their imagination. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Dale, we're going to, thank you so much. That's awesome. We're going to go ahead and roll into the lightning round. Are you ready? I don't think I will ever be ready, but you can go ahead. <laughs> cool. Okay. So my wife wants to know, is cereal a soup? I have to say no for my own sanity. Yes. Okay. Uh, what have you been playing recently? Just too much Dragon Age Inquisition. Way too much. Okay. And Oh, and Banner uh, Saga. Oh, Banner Saga is so good. 
Uh, I've been getting back into Darkest Dungeon recently, which is unrelated. But anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, Na- who is someone who you would like to shout out that you think deserves like a shout out right now? Um, probably. Let's see. The first person who comes to mind is uh, Vi from Collabs Without Permission, who just makes just really cool, weird tabletop RPG content. So a lot of um, reviews or like. Yeah, it's just sort of, it's very exploratory content, but it's its usually very good content. Um, so Collabs Without Permission on YouTube. Um, my rapid fire, whether or not you use this in your, your gameplay, what would be your favorite alignment to play? Ooh, this is meant to be rapid fire, but I can't pick because I love them all. Uh, maybe, 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 yeah. I'm torn between either lawful good or chaotic neutral, but not chaotic neutral in the like, oh, chaotic neutral kind of way, but like actually playing someone who is chaotic neutral in terms of like, they're not, they're not here one way or the other to, to help. Yeah. They're just like, uh, they're doing things, but not as an excuse to just do random crap. Favorite character in the never ending story. Oh, Oh, I'm gonna say I. Oh, it's got to be Falcor. I dressed as a luck dragon <laughs> once for a party. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, why don't you go ahead and plug yourself? Tell us where we can find you. Tell us all about yourself and all that good stuff. Oh wow! Um, you can find me in many places on the internet. Uh, on YouTube, the channel is Monarchs Factory. That's kind of my home. It's where I live. But I'm also on the Twitters and the various other social platforms uh but i did not understand the importance of consistent branding until it was too late so the easiest way to find me on any platform is to google dale kingsmill and the platform that you're looking for because i have a different handle on most of them (laughs) i was actually going to ask why monarchs factory but that kind of explains itself (laughs) uh well actually monarchs factory is because kingsmill King's Mill, King's yeah, Mill Monarchs name. Factory. But that was, my sister Raywin came up with that. And it was by far the best name that we had. I, I nearly made my channel name Daily Dale, but at the time Daily Grace was still a thing. And I was like, I can't do that. That's not that. That's not an available option for me. So uh, Monarchs Factory it was. All right. And that will wrap it up. Dale, thank you so very much. It's been a real pleasure. Um, it's been so thanks. nice. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm glad Absolutely. to be with you Thank here you. at the end of all things. I, I really, yeah. uh, we hope you're, you hope you're doing well. I mean, there's nothing dangerous in Australia, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're totally fine here. Yeah. All right. And uh, yeah, again, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time, I guess. Right. Bye. And that was our interview with Dale Kingsmill. Uh, I hope that you had as much fun listening to it as we did recording it. Because, man, there were a lot of great ideas getting thrown around. And also, I mean, like, you know, dollary dues and spoof, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, like, you yeah. know, that entire time, I really thought that it was true about the, the toilets. I I Wait. did not know. What? <laughs> Wait, go ahead. Say that again into the microphone. <laughs> so this entire time, I really thought that was true about how the toilets and sinks just spun a different direction. Wow. Okay. I, I did not. 
Hey, it's not it far fetched. Perfect sense like, to me. Their country's weird and has horrible monsters in it. Like it's basically it's upside like, down. Yeah, it's upside down. Like Lord of the Rings stuff goes on there. I don't blame yeah. you. All right, and I I know that after doing that interview, that uh, Chris is definitely a subscriber now. Like a number one fan follows her on Twitter and YouTube and stuff like that. Not only is she a fan and a kindred spirit of the soup debate, uh, cereal being a soup, of course, but also oh, Terry Pratchett and uh, stuff that, you know, uh, maybe I'm not so much into, but Chris definitely is. Well, so, she also likes Star Trek, which I think is a big thing. Yes. And Discworld. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said Terry Pratchett, didn't I? But then, if she is, what if she's a Picard fan, guys? Though I think we'd have to cut ties forever. You know, we'll we'll actually just have to have her back on so we can be yeah. like, look, we're we're gonna have a debate. Actually, I don't give a fuck about Picard. So well, we could do, we have a debate. I love that. Oh my god, get ready. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry, Dale, but I got I do have to talk to Jim Davis real quick because yeah, Jim Davis. I did I did watch Willow, and man, like that's one of his favorite movies <laughs> of all time. That movie does not age well. Maybe is not very good, actually. Maybe that's maybe like, Jim and her can have like a history off. Oh no, no, because that that's where we just fall in love with each other all over again. Like, <laughs> with Jim Davis. <laughs> yeah, with Jim Davis. Like Willow will drive us apart and history yeah. will bring us back. We'll bring it back together again. But no, I'm saying Absolutely. like Dale and Jim can have like a mythology off where they've got to like spout mythology oh, facts and okay. wait until one of them can't. All right, our goal now is to get big and famous enough where we can mm. go to a convention where both of them are and just yes. have a like a like a, a nice little like They've got to do it as a rap though. That's the thing. It's got to be a mythology rap off. Honestly, I feel like Dale would definitely win that. I think she'd win. Yeah. My money's on Dale. Sorry, yeah, Jim. Sure. I mean theater. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's the theater. It's the th- I mean uh, also hold on. Because Jim does have the whole like preacher background, so he has the oration. Oh, true. He's might have staying power. Well, depending on what denomination, he might not have the rhythm for it. So we'll we'll have to talk to him about that too. I I went to a lot of Baptist churches, so I get it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I I think with our rattling on, that that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I, I apologize deeply to everyone involved with us. Uh, but honestly that was that was a lot of fun if you haven't already uh go and subscribe to monarchs factory go follow dale on twitter all of her information is going to be in the link in the description and all that good stuff and if you want to go ahead and send us any kind of email letting us know how wrong or right we are or if you have suggestions for a, a prompt that we can kind of follow and create with you can email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com or you can go ahead and shoot us a dm or a tweet at let's world build and until next week ladies gentlemen and everyone else uh, we remember that we just we just love you very much we hope that you have a great day and if you don't it'll get better soon and we'll see you next time